Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. And then after you're done greeting, you can turn to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And I encourage you, we're going to be in Isaiah all morning, or at least for the next 45 minutes. So turn to Isaiah 61, whether that's a paper Bible or an electronic Bible. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture that is uh, very beautiful. Isaiah 61. I'll give you another minute to turn there. It's about halfway through the Bible in the Old Testament. And um, find Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read in the message translation. So if you have one of the Bibles on the, on the table, those are NIV. The message is more of a uh, contemporary uh, version that is very loose with the text, but it does come from the, the text of the Hebrew and the Greek. So here it is, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because a God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all the captives, pardon the prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, the celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all those who mourn, to take care of the needs of all who mourn in Zion, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. So Lord, we pray to you right now, God, as we study Isaiah would you open our imagination and speak to us, Lord, that you want us to um, comfort other believers and proclaim your truth. Lord, awaken us today with your words, specifically as we study the book of Isaiah. Awaken these words to us that we might find you, find what it is you're speaking to us right now in the Mill Sunday School, in our lives, to us and our friends, and our family, where we work. Lord, open our imagination to you and who you are. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And everybody said, amen. amen. So let me tell you a story of God working in me. Um, right after I got saved, I needed a Bible. Um, I had a Bible that was like really nice, and I would never write in it because it was a gift. I got it as a kid. Um, <clears throat> and then in high school, I kind of rededicated my life to the Lord and started serving Him and going to this youth group. And my youth pastor was like, dude, you need a Bible. And I was like, dude, I know. You should go get one. And so I went down to the bookstore to buy one. There's all these different choices of what to buy. Um, and I thought, oh, I could save money and get just the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs one. Uh, <clears throat> so I go back to my youth pastor and say, what, what uh, Bible should I get? There's all these choices. And he said, get an NIV just because the NIV is a popular translation. Lots of people read it. And for goodness sakes, don't just get the, get the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. You do need the whole Bible. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Um, got the whole Bible. And it's this Bible right here that I hold. I got it in 1993. It's a long time ago, and I've lost it a couple times, and then I've found it a couple times, and here it is, and here's what's really cool about, uh, I guess, the way my youth pastor taught me. He said, you need to write in your Bible. You need to highlight. You need to underline. You need to write in the margins. Is anybody else a big fan of that? Like, yes, okay, good. Look at all the hands. Be proud. Um, I think that's a really cool way of doing Bible studies to write and to remember things, and I gave my, my I was like, well, how do you highlight? And he's like, well, make up your own little... Um, uh, what, what different colors mean? I say, okay. So I, I started highlighting things in blue that were like interesting to me, like fa 
facts. I started highlighting in yellow things that were uh, like spiritually like food, like, oh, this is such a good passage to meditate on. And if you look through this Bible, you'll see that today. There's still like blue and yellow in there. And then I had this other idea. I think I got it from my youth pastor um, to underline in the Old Testament all the passages uh, referring to Jesus in green. So I took my green uh, I had a pen, I still have a pen, and I would underline. So here's a picture of, in my Bible, uh, Isaiah 61, and it's underlined in green. And I remember doing that. I, actually, I don't remember underlining it, but I do remember this. Reading through the New Testament, coming to a passage in Luke 7, where Jesus refers to this passage. Jesus goes and reads this passage in front of the synagogue, and, and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. So I was like, oh, awesome. That's an Old Testament scripture referring to Jesus. I should underline that in green. And so I went to this passage. I found it. Like, oh, there it is. I got ready to underline it, and it was already underlined. I had already done it on a previous reading. And it was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, it all makes sense. It's beautiful. Like, wow, the Bible, it's so cool. I'm like high-fiving myself. Um, and it's like, that's, those moments are like the fruit. It's not why we study the Bible, but those moments make it so it's like, oh, wow, this is eating deeply from the Word of God. It's like this moment where like a lot of things just made sense. And through moments like that, fell in love with studying the Scripture. So I hope today's lesson and referring to uh, some of these passages in Isaiah that are testaments and prophecies of the coming Messiah, that you would get really excited to study Scripture like I am. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Glad that you're here. Uh, a few announcements for you. Uh, if you're new, I see some new faces. If you want, there's a little card on, the, on your tables. Uh, you can fill, fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. I'll email you. If you want to call, I'll call you myself and tell you more about things going on for college and 20-somethings uh, around here at New Life. We do have on all the tables our newest printout of small groups. We have a great smorgasbord of of small groups for you, whether they're guy groups or girl groups or once-a-month dinner groups or all kinds of different things. So if you're new, that's a way to get connected. And also a way to kind of gather us together is that most of us, uh, right after this service, right after Sunday school, go over to the big service at 11. We sit in the back of uh, section 10. So if you're new, make sure you go over with somebody and, and sit with them. It's, it's a little overwhelming if you haven't been to church, big church before. So invite yourself to go over and, and that's where we all sit. Finally, kind of a fun thing, we're doing a best post contest. <laughs> Just for fun. Sunday school is 10 years old, um, so we're excited about that. So if you post something, either a little blog or just a picture, you could take a selfie right now and post it either to the Mill Sunday School Facebook or on Instagram, hashtag the Sunday School so that we can find it. Uh, and in and, and, and a couple of weeks, we will announce the winner of the best post, and you get the Apologetics Bible, which is pretty cool. It's a great study Bible, so just for fun. And one more announcement, men's retreat. Any men in here? <laughs> Me too. Um, so the men's retreat is not next weekend, but the weekend after, 17th, 18th, 19th. Um, and if you want more information, it's on the website. Dan Porter, would you raise your hand? This is Dan. If you want to register, he can help you out and get you registered. Uh, we are canceling the Mill Sunday School that week so that uh, we can all go, the men can go, and we didn't want to burden the, the women on the leadership team to try to carry out Sunday School, so we're just canceling in honor of uh, something really important that we should all do, men and women, but go take some time away, go into... Um, 
a place like the mountains that is away from your job and away from the busyness of life and reflect on the Lord, be with other Christians. And so I think, men, we need that. Specifically, we don't get away enough as men. Uh, We don't find the value in it. And there is such great value in getting away, being with other men, young and old. And I'm going to be one of the speakers uh, at the retreat. I'm going to talk about um, the topic of humility. I'm writing a book called (laughs) Humility and How I Achieved It. I think, in, in all seriousness, I think when someone is like, come on, be a man, they, they're usually surrounding like, come on, be stupid and get a bunch of attention, or come on and break something, or come on and, you know, hurt something, um, be a man. And, and I think that the Lord created us, and if Jesus is our great, um, like our standard of what a man is, then with that should be humility. And if someone says, be a man, well, then that should be. Like, be like Jesus, and Jesus was a servant and, and was humble, and we can all learn from that. So that's the men's retreat. If you're not going, you need to go. If you're a man, uh, get registered, figure out some more information about that. So let's begin our study of the book of Isaiah with a very quick uh, review of Isaiah, 66 chapters. Here's a picture of him as painted by Michelangelo. Uh, his name means Yahweh, or Yah is salvation. He lived in the 8th century B.C. That's a very long time ago. He was a real person, but we don't think that Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah because he talks about himself in third person. Uh, We think that he wrote over a very long time. In in verse 1, chapter 1, he says that this is the prophecy through all these different kings of Judah, and that's about a 60-year span. So Isaiah, the guy who really lived, didn't just sit down and write this book one day, but rather these are prophecies compiled over potentially 60 years um, by different people, and we can learn something about that. And um, the overview of the book of Isaiah is that um, the Lord wants to comfort us and rebuke us because of how much He loves us. And last week, we talked about that and how a good father, um, I strive to be a good father of my two boys. I have a two-year-old, excuse me, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and the three-year-old um, I constantly comfort and rebuke him. Like all my waking time with this boy is either probably doing one of these things, comforting him, having fun with him, or rebuking him. He's, he's three, so he's testing boundaries all the time. Can I hit my brother? No, you can't hit your brother. Can I give him a little hit? No, don't little hit. What about a little tap? No, don't little tap him. And then he just like reaches over and does it anyways, just touches him. It's like, stop it. <laughs> stop doing that. Don't hit him. Don't even think about hitting him. Why? Because I love you, and I want you to grow, and I, I don't want you to become a little boy that hits people. Um, so comfort and rebuke. And so in Isaiah, again and again and again, the Lord comforts his people, Judah and Israel, and rebukes his people. And it's I, I argued last week, and you can listen to it. The podcast is up because we have a great tech department um, and people back there doing their thing. Um, it's already up. We, t- we talked about the Lord loves us so much that, of course, he comforts us. But when we need to be rebuked and changed, of course he does that. That is what a good father does. So that's the review. So we'll begin today with our nerd alert of the day. (laughs) Brought to us by Walter Brueggemann. Girls, if you meet a guy who knows who Walter Brueggemann is, keep talking to him. (laughs) Guys, figure out who this guy is. Uh, I put up a Facebook post early this morning um, uh, of this guy talking about the prophetic 
imagination. He's, he's, Walter Brueggemann is kind of a theologian of theologians. He uh, wrote a, the commentary that I'm, I'm working through for Isaiah. There's, it's uh, in a two-volume co- commentary, Walter Brueggemann. Um, he, he, he is kind of the person that is the living day kind of scholar of the Old Testament. If anyone's like, well, who's the best of the best these days and really knows the Hebrew and the Semitic languages and what was going on, a lot of people say Walter Brueggemann is, is the guy above guys as far as Old Testament theologians. And he talks about this idea of prophetic imagination. He wrote a book called The Prophetic Imagination, and he argues that the prophets in the Old Testament are poets who invite us to think about um, what is going on in the spiritual realm, invite us to imagine things differently. Isaiah, for instance, the book we're studying, invites us to see the world <clears throat> differently, kind of maybe as, as either God sees it, as it will be, as it truly is, as heaven is on earth. These poets, in a, in a beautiful, artistic way, um, invite us to imagine a world where God is here and active and alive. And of course he is. And so what does that mean? How should we see the world differently knowing those things? Because many times I think the word prophecy, you hear the word prophecy and so many of us, myself included, immediately think, oh, the definition of prophecy is future prediction. And that, of course, is one definition of what prophecy is. In fact, the dictionary, if you go to prophecy and at dictionary.com, which I did this week, that's what they say, a prediction, a forecast, a prognosis, um, a, a fortune-telling. That's what a prophecy is. But if you ask this question and you go look up this word, what is a prophet? Well, then that definition of changes because a prophet is someone who speaks for God, contacts the supernatural, um, a prophet conveys something hidden to the natural senses. And so, obviously, if the word prophet and prophecy are so connected, uh, we should not get confused and say that prophecy is just future prediction. In fact, um, Walter Brueggemann, the guy you need to know uh, if you want to be cool, he says, he kind of warns us as Christians to say, well, you know, we shouldn't just go back into Isaiah and say, oh, it's all about Jesus. Um, some of it is about Jesus, but it's not all about Jesus because it is also for the prophetic imagination of the people who lived it in Isaiah's time, and he's 800 or so years before Christ came, 700 years before Christ came. And so that word still fell on good soil for people to imagine what was really going on in the world with God relating to his people. So let's look at prophecies in Isaiah, and be careful, like Walter Brueggemann said, to not just overly say, oh, this is about Jesus, and I think about like the, the quintessential answer in Sunday school to any question is Jesus, <laughs> but not necessarily. Um, we want to kind of take a step back and imagine these passages as they truly are and what they spoke to the people, but you can't go wrong with passages in the New Testament that directly say this Old Testament passage was about Jesus, the Messiah. And if you don't know what the word Messiah means, it means the anointed one. It's a Hebrew word for the anointed one. And the Greek word is Christ. So if you say, like many of us do, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, it's kind of like saying ATM machine. The title's in there a couple times. ATM machine, of course. <laughs> Automated teller machine, machine. Um, 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Well, you're saying Jesus and then Christ, which means anointed one in Greek, and then Messiah, which means anointed one in Hebrew. You're kind of saying it again, really drawing emphasis on this idea that he was prophesied about. And so what I want to do is create a moment uh, at your tables. I want to create like kind of like a little Bible study uh, where we look at the New Testament through the eyes of um, of the old. Well, maybe let me say that better. We're going to look at the Old Testament, Isaiah, through the eyes of the New Testament. Let me be more clear. Uh, if you would, please turn to Luke chapter 4, uh, and we're gonna, you're going to read this at your table, so be, be ready. Have someone assign someone to be a reader. Um, it's just, uh, what, 16 verses here, so it's, it's not going to take too long. Here's a picture of what's going on in this passage. Jesus goes to the synagogue, opens the scroll, and begins to read. Uh, And then the people respond one way, and then he says a little bit more, and then the people respond totally different. So at your table, so this is kind of a discussion question, I just want you, someone to read it, and I'll just take a minute to read all these 16 verses, and then discuss what's going on in this passage, which is just a great way of doing a small group. Um, Lots of people are leading small groups, and some people are like, I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'd love to lead a small group, but I'm not sure how well, this is what I, I used to lead, uh, I think in my life, I've probably led 10, 15 different small groups through my Christian life. And if I never knew, I was like, what, what should we do tonight? Um, I would pick a passage, we would read it, and then talk about it. And then I, of course, knowing what passage we were going to talk about, uh, did some research beforehand to lead and guide the people that came. But this is just a great um, way of reading the Bible. Read it together, and then talk about it. So that's what I want you to do at your tables. Ready? Get set. Read and discuss. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm probably interrupting your conversation. Hopefully, I'm not interrupting your reading. Hopefully, you completed reading the passage. But I have a mic. I would love to hear. I think the process of um, learning is just kind of saying in your own words what just happened. Um, and then from there, we'll go a little deeper. I used to be a high school teacher, and like they, they teach you how to do teaching. It's called pedagogy. And um, it's like if a student can at least in their own words say what just happened, then that's the first part of learning. And then from there we'll go. So can anyone in their own words say what just happened? Chris, Chris Russell, I'll bring the mic back to you. So in your own words, very briefly, what is the, what's going on in this passage? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so like 14 through 30, it looks like Jesus is quoting from, you know, Isaiah. Isaiah. Yep, 61. And then he's like pointing out um, that Elijah didn't do that. And then he's kind of saying, you're like, hey, this scripture is fulfilled today. And right. And they get really angry at what he said. And then he becomes a ninja. And a ninja. And disappears. Oh, that is good. That is your own words. I appreciate that. So Jesus reads a passage from the Old Testament, written 700-ish years. You could do the math. Uh, before... Jesus comes and then says, reads this passage, says, this has been fulfilled today. And at first, the people say nice things. They're like, oh, cool, how great. Then he kind of says some more about uh, Elijah and Elisha, and then the people go crazy, and they want to throw him off a cliff, but he becomes a ninja, in Chris's words. Good. <laughs> so what, so, cause that's what is going on. Why did that happen? Does anyone want to share? Like, maybe you talked about something at your table. Miss Crow. There you go. I think it happened because they were nervous and they were they didn't believe they're like, well, if he really says who he is and why can he do this? Because he's just he says he's a prophet, so why 
Is he saying that he can do this when he's just a prophet? Yeah, so he goes back to his own, his own hometown of uh, Galilee, Nazareth, and, and this is where he picks up the scroll and reads it. And the people at first say, oh, isn't this Joseph's son? How nice. Doesn't he have nice things to say? And then he says a little bit more. And hopefully you got to this part of the story where Jesus brings up two people, uh, Elijah and Elisha. And he says There's a, there was a bunch of widows, but Elijah finds this uh, person who was not a Jew. And Elisha does the same thing. There's lots of people needing help in Israel, God's chosen people. And if Jesus is in Galilee reading in a synagogue, who is he talking to? He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people. And Jesus like, brings attention to the Old Testament where God casts this net to the people that are not Jews, to people that are outsiders, bringing them in. And that's what this whole passage is about. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, which is all about good news to the poor, the, the people um, to proclaim the good news to the people not living, the, the Jews that are not in the land, that the message is all about them. And this becomes frighteningly, upsettingly horrible news to the people sitting there listening. They're like, well, what about us? What about me? Um, I'm in need. Um, I'm sure we could all think, like, if someone is like, hey, I got lots of money. Anybody want some money? All of us would find reasons to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a lot of money. I'm in, I have this need and that need. And then where does the person actually give the money? Well, then maybe they give it to people who are really suffering. And you're like, well, I'm kind of suffering like them. It's like when, um, so when, when I was a high school teacher, I did an internship. And uh, I really tried to not just continuously, like, say no to bad behavior, but but you try to, you know, uh, confirm good behavior. So if I saw a kid, like, fooling around, like, uh, let's say uh, Nate is fooling around, and he's just, like, laughing and joking, I would point to someone else, like Sasha, who's sitting next to him, and say, Sasha, thank you for being such a good student today, and, and how, how good you are for just sitting there quietly. And then Nate would be like, man, man, come on. Um, I think my interpretation of this passage is that this is what's going on. When Jesus reads this, he says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor and do this and that for those people that are in need. And the Israelites, the Jewish people sitting right there are like, yeah, that's us. And then Jesus says, actually, there's people more hurting than you that I am going to go to uh, and prophesy to. That's what Isaiah is prophesying to these outsiders. And I think that's at the heart of like what makes them so mad in the story it says they want to kill him they want to throw him off a cliff um it's kind of like one more story um like I, a long time ago i waited in line to see the band and there was like if you waited in line like all day it was like a ridiculous amount of time it might have just been an hour but it seemed like all day um to see the band five iron frenzy anybody remember that band <laughs> oh yeah so, so it's like we were told oh, if we wait here then when the band gets here, we can say hi to them. They'll greet us. We just have to wait in line for like all day, but it might have just been an hour. Um, so we waited and waited and waited, and the band was late getting there, and so they didn't have time to say hi to us, and we we're like, oh, man, forget this. This stinks. We waited in line all day to see this band, and now they're not going to say hi. And then we saw the band, and they, instead of coming to us, the people that deserve to see them, people that have been waiting in line all day, the band went over and greeted this van full of disabled kids. And we were like, oh, they don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, we've been in line all day. <laughs> and, and 
And of course, looking back, like, oh my God, you really had those thoughts of like, the, the band did what they were supposed They're a Christian band being the light of Jesus Christ and going to those who were outcasts and bringing them in to the kingdom, um, spiritually speaking. Of course, that, that's what they were supposed to do. They, they did the right thing. But to those of us that deserved it, were in line waiting, they was just like, oh, come on, who are those kids? Come on, we've been in line. And I see that as what's going on here as Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy that the word of God is going to go out into all people, not just the chosen people, not just the people like us sitting in church on a Sunday morning, the, the, the so-called good people or the church people. This message is for everyone and how quickly that, that can turn in our hearts to like, well, we deserve it. You know, we deserve, we've been waiting in line. We've been coming to church. We deserve this, not those outsiders. And that is what Jesus, the whole message of Isaiah, that is what um, it, it is about, God coming to those who don't deserve it. Well, one, one, this is hopefully very related um, to what we're talking about now. Isaiah 58 talks about a true fast, this big theme within Isaiah of like how to come to the Lord, uh, what your worship ceremony should look like, uh, what your festival should look like, what a true fast should look like. And we might say, oh, cool, what, what does a true fast look like? Is it a water-only fast? Is it a jamba juice fast? Is it a vegetable fast? What is a true fast? And if you turn to Isaiah and read what a true fast looks like, it, it blows your mind. It says, true fast is this, to loosen the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free. Verse 7, to share your food with the hungry, to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter, to see people that are in need of clothing and to clothe them. That's what a true fast looks like. Like, oh, to, to, to help people, to, to bring the, the good news to the poor, to those that are the outsider, to bring to them the gospel, the good news. That's what it really looks like. Oh, okay, got it. We're going to do this exercise one more time. So if you enjoyed it, um, good. If you didn't enjoy it, um, this is a process, doing this, sitting down, reading Scripture, talking about it. We as God's people have been doing that for like, I don't know, since like Adam, <laughs> since Moses. Um, we as believers, we, we read Scripture. We read what the Lord is saying to us, and we talk about it. So if, if you didn't enjoy the process we just did, you're like, ah, boring. Well, get something out of it. Like, lean into this. Really listen to the words and let the Lord give you an imagination for what He might be saying to you today. So in this case, we're going to turn to Acts. So it's a New Testament book from Luke. Turn a few pages um, past John. Find the book of Acts. Turn to uh, Acts chapter 8. And we're just going to read these few verses here. Uh, Acts 28, 26 through 38. It's a story about Philip, the apostle, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, finding this dude, an Ethiopian dude, um, along the road reading Isaiah and then they have this conversation, and then your mind will get blown if you've never read it before, because it's pretty cool. So that's at least my prayer for you. So turn to Acts 8, 26. Have, have a, the same person or a different person read it, and then talk about it. Ready? Gazette? Read and discuss. All right, if I could interrupt um, your conversations. Uh, I, I sat down with this table, and Kurt, I'm gonna, I told him I was going to call on him to, to answer this question. What's going on? In this passage, and he already had part of it uh, highlighted and underlined, so I was like, oh, he's, he's read this before. So I thought, I'll call on Kurt. Could you tell us in your own words 
what this passage is about. Am I on? Oh, yeah. sweet. So in this passage, uh, Philip is traveling, and as he does, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who works with, like, the queen's money, basically. And when he finds him, uh, the eunuch says, all right, here's this passage that I'm reading in Isaiah, and I'm really struggling to understand with what it means. And so Philip sits down, and in verse 35, it says, then, he, then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so what's interesting here is that Philip is confident and comfortable enough with the scripture to look and say, hey, this is exactly where this guy is in terms of where he's walking with his faith. He doesn't have to go to some other scripture to try and connect it, but he starts with exactly where the eunuch is struggling and shows him the good news about Christ through that. And so that's a lesson for us to be able to look at a passage of scripture, look at a problem that somebody's struggling with and meet them with where they are and to show them the good news. And then afterwards, the part that uh, Joe was talking about that blows our mind is when like he comes out <laughs> well, of the all water. all of it blows our mind. Like, yeah, but th- this absolutely. This part is this cool, the cool it's, part. It's pretty sweet, but like it says, and Philip like instantly appeared somewhere else. So it's like Star Trek stuff, you know? Like, or ninja, ninja stuff, Chris. Yeah, there you go. Like ninja stuff. Good. And then he appears somewhere else. That's pretty neat. Yeah, awesome. Um, <laughs> so Philip... Philip is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's walking along, and here's this guy reading. And did anyone, anybody um, get into um, thinking about the, the idea that he is a eunuch? Do you know what a eunuch is? I'll save you from Googling it. Some things should not be Googled. Um, <clears throat> if you don't know what it is, you're like, yeah, what? everybody's laughing. What is it? It's a, it's a guy, and in the ancient world, this was somewhat common. It's like, you know how you um, can bring your dog to the vet and get your dog neutered? It's just like they, um, turning red a little bit, they remove the testicles of your dog to get your dog neutered, and then your dog doesn't, doesn't have the sexual drive, doesn't have kids, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in the ancient world, um, this was somewhat of a, I don't know if it was a common thing, but there were people that did this to their own bodies um, or had it done. I'm turning red. Anyways, um, this guy who's single... Uh, who is a eunuch, who does not seek a family, who cannot have a family of his own. Um, He goes all the way from Ethiopia. If you know where Ethiopia is, it's pretty far middle-ish of Africa, all the way to Jerusalem. And I I Google mapped it and found out that it's like 1,500 miles. And 1,500 miles by a chariot or a horse would take a couple months. If you're you're just, you know, going at a normal speed, a couple months there, a couple months back, um, how long do you spend in a place if, you, if it took you a couple months to get there? Well, probably at least a couple months. So this guy has that amount of time in his life, which is just kind of a testament to being single, to um, kind of honor that. Um, when you're single, you, have, you might not know this now, but you have so much time to dedicate to the Lord as compared to having a family, like I have two kids, a wife, one on the way, um, if I said to Erica, hey, Erica, I'm going to spend a couple months traveling and hang out because he has good intentions. He spends the time praying at the temple and then spend a couple months coming back. Is that cool? She'd say, no, we kind of need it here to be a father and a husband. Um, so just, to, just as a side note, um, singleness, as so many of you are in your college and 20-somethings, um, that, is a, that is a beautiful place to be for the Lord, and you can do things like this. You could save up, probably any one of you in here, if you're single, if you really wanted to, you could save it up enough money and take a six-month journey and go spend the time with the Lord, praying and seeking the Lord. So this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, um, goes to Jerusalem, spends time praying, is reading Scripture, Isaiah 53, um, about the suffering servant 
Um, and he just wonder, who in the world is this guy talking about? And it's like perfect timing. Philip is there to explain it. And another side note is that what's interesting is we, we think, we don't know for sure, but we think that th- this guy hears the gospel message, brings it back to Ethiopia, and starts the Ethiopian church. It's called the Coptic church, the language they speak there. It's Coptic. And what's interesting is like that church is still around today. And it's kind of weird. Like this, if you... If you um, start researching the Coptic church, it'll, it'll blow your mind because like Christianity kind of goes into Europe. Europe becomes missionaries. They go into Africa looking for people to convert and they show up in Ethiopia and they're like, whoa, you guys are already Christians. How long have you been serving Jesus? And they're like, since Philip. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, well, carry on. <laughs> um, it's just a really interesting, that's another side note. But like Kurt said, This eunuch, this guy on a chariot is reading out loud this passage. Philip comes up, is able to explain it right then and there and say that this suffering servant, this this one who is to come, this Messiah is a suffering servant. He comes to set people free and he comes to suffer. And if you read the rest of Isaiah 53, it says uh, he he was pierced for our transgressions, the salvation by suffering. And how can this be that God, so powerful, um, causes his servant to suffer and then uh, fulfilled in Jesus, suffer for our sins? It'd be like the next election, that whoever runs for president is like running on like, I'm going to be your great sufferer. I'm going to suffer and be your servant. It's like, no, that sounds like a loser. (laughs) But it's not. In the kingdom of God, it's the suffering servant. It's the one who serves, not the one who... Is, is to be served, but it's the one who serves. Jesus, of course, becomes, is salvation to us. So as we conclude, we'll end a little early this morning. Um, this idea of prophetic imagination, kind of bringing us full circle to where we've been and where we're going with the book of Isaiah. This picture is the picture of the cover of Walter Brueggemann's book called The Prophetic Imagination, which if you get, you would be really nerdy to read. It's, it's a book that's for theologians. So if you were to get prophetic imagination and read it, I'm sure a lot of it would just, uh, just go over your head as, as it would mine as well. But the parts that you could get and grasp would be such like, wow, this is interesting. These prophets speaking um, and this prophetic imagination idea that's in the Old Testament. And I think the prophetic imagination asks this question, like, what is God doing now? Like you read through Isaiah like, okay, I get that this is for another people at another time, the Jewish people, but what is God saying now? Um, opening up your prophetic imagination to the text of Scripture, to situations of what's going on now. I think about a, a couple years ago, I was on a, um, a fishing trip, like a, a deep sea fishing trip with some friends in South Carolina. We went out and uh, like everything went wrong. We tried to catch our own bait to use, and that was a disaster. We had to go back, buy the bait, and then we get back out in the water, and the engine stopped. It was just a disaster of a fishing trip. And one of the guys, uh, as a pastor, just said, wow, what do you think, guys, what, what do you think God is doing here? And it just totally changed the whole trip. It's like, here we were, we got up at like 4 a.m. to do this trip, and we're rushing around, getting life jackets, making sure we have license, getting the bait, figuring that out, getting back on the water. The water, the engine breaks, we're stuck on the water. It's like, what do you think God is doing here? We just kind of stopped. We're like, 
well, you know, we're really not here just to catch fish. We're really here to be, spend time with each other and enjoy this day. And there was prayer and we just, it was just this cool moment of like, yeah, what is, like this imagination was opened up. What is God doing here right now? And in a way, I would say that those words in that moment at that time were prophetic words, like opening up our imagination for what's really going on here. Another story, um, uh, like just uh, last week, two weeks, sorry, two weeks ago, we canceled Sunday school and the leaders went on a mill uh, Sunday school on a Friday night. Uh, the leaders went on a camping trip and on Saturday night, um, we, it just rained on us. Like we were supposed to be like grilling little s'mores and doing worship by the fire and hanging out and looking at the stars and instead of just pouring down rain. Any, was anybody there? I see those hands. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun, meaningful trip and we were huddled under this tent and our backs were getting wet because the wind was blowing and we were singing some worship songs. And then it was like, after like three, I think we only did three songs or four songs. Uh, it was quick. We were like, okay, we need to go to bed. But before we go to bed, let's just say some things we're thankful for in the storm. And I meant it literally like, okay, we're in the storm, literally. What can we give thanks to God for? And Tyler Hill, I don't know if Tyler's in here. He took it, it was like, I would say in a prophetic moment, using that term somewhat loosely, um, this he just changed the whole, he just changed the whole like temperature, figuratively, spiritually of what was going on. He said, well, right now the storm in my life, he said his, his mom has been sick and is sick. And what I have to be thankful for in that is, is the Lord's blessing and keep keeping reminding us of these promises that we were told. And it was like, boom, like this moment it was like, yes, that's what the Lord's doing. And, and it just, and then other, some other people started sharing like, yeah, in the storms of life, this is what we have to be thankful for. And it just opened up uh, this prophetic imagination to think, okay, what is God doing here and now? And as we read scripture and we read these poetic books like Isaiah, I, I pray the Lord opens up our imagination for what is the Lord doing now here in Sunday school with our friends um, at, at New Life Church? What is the Lord doing at work? How can this be, how can this open up our imagination and let the Lord speak to us in these moments. So let's pray as we close. Lord, may our imagination be opened to you and stirred this week. May we see things differently. May we see the world as you see it. And that's what we see in the book of Isaiah. This, this man who lived so long ago was able to see the world as it is, and prophesy things to come, prophesy your word to the people right then and there. And Lord, may we do that on, on some level amongst our friends, amongst our family. May we hear your word and may it open up other people's imagination for what the Lord is doing right here, right now, as, as we go through this week. Lord, we hand over to you um, our reading of Isaiah and these scriptures and what you're speaking to us. May you receive the glory. May you receive the praise on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we do love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Well, we'll see you uh, next week. We're ending a little early, so if you're new, fill out the card, get some more coffee, meet someone you don't know. May the peace of the Lord be with you. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. 
More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.